0: And I think that the willing, the willingness to not be afraid to commit to the complete to a complete level of unknown at a young age. So look, you know, if 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 in two or three years' time I have a kid and you know things change in terms of my options and what I can do. And but but I think that that's part of part of life. At 19, 20, 21, 22, at 26. Uh, I think that there still has to be that level of, like, I'm gonna commit to something that just doesn't make sense.
1: Uh, Welcome to The Path Distilled, everybody. I'm Kevin Harris.
2: Hello, everybody, Lauren Tashman. Really excited that today we have on the show performance and movement specialist at Golf and Body NYC, Matt Palazzalo. Matt, thank you for joining us today.
3: Yeah,
0: thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it.
2: Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself before we get started here?
0: Yeah, so uh, I work in Manhattan, New York, at a a studio called Golf Body NYC. Uh, I specialize in, in performance and movement as it pertains to golf and just overall function. So a little bit about what I do there. We have a, a, a relatively large studio with hitting bays and a, and a wellness area, as well as a performance area. And our main focus there is to facilitate the team approach towards towards overall performance training for golfers and, and, and athletes alike. Majority of our clientele base are golfers. Um, so that's what I specialize in now. I worked uh, two years prior at a junior academy down in Florida, uh, where obviously I was specializing in golf there as well. Uh, and then prior to that, I was working at just some other performance studios and, and training studios in different areas of the country. I was in Arizona for a year. I was in Buffalo for a year. I was in Florida for two and uh, probably actually three years, just split up over the course of five years. Uh, and um, really the last two and a half to three years has been pretty heavy with golf. So, you know, the the overall, I guess, aspect of my training is just purely maybe pejoratively labeled functional uh but i i did begin to cater that the past uh, few years to golf and it's it's been it's been something that's uh been really eye-opening just because of the complexity of the movement and and the inefficiencies that are there but the ability to perform at a high level with those inefficiencies it's i think it's something you don't see in, in in many other sports i think i think most sports you know if if you know if you're a sprinter and you can't get off the block efficiently you can't sprint but if you know if you're if you're a golfer and you have that ability to to get up and down but maybe your swing isn't that pretty or you have the most amazing swing in the world but you can't putt uh but you can still get up like there, there's just a lot of different nuances that allow people to to function within it so I think that there's there's a lot of room for someone like myself to be able to come in and and optimize people that are uh you know maybe a plus two and some people that struggle to break ninety. So it's it's a very unique field and something that I've I've come to to really learn to love and enjoy pretty pretty heavily.
2: Awesome. Nice. Why don't you start by just having us kind of wind back to the beginning of how did you get into this?
0: Yeah. So um, when I was a junior in high school. I went and got a basic just personal training certification. And it, it was something that was interesting because, you know, prior to that, I'd always worked in pretty, pretty active fields. Like I was a lifeguard. I grew up in New Jersey. So I was a lifeguard in the, in the winter at a pool, like indoor pool, uh, even throughout the summer for a little bit as well. And, uh, when I'd gotten certified, I had, I had, I don't know if you guys are getting a lot of feedback. This, I think this AirPod might be dying. Just let me know. I'm not if, getting it. It's anything. coming in a little. I uh, appreciate that. But, um, so picked up my certification for for personal training, uh, and I, I did that as an internship. And at at the end of my at the end of my school day, so high school was a little bit like we had a block scheduling. And my ju- my junior and senior year, I did a an early out program, so I would I would leave, I would go to college and take college courses, and then I would uh, I would go and work in the evenings, and then I would uh, work in the morning, and then I intern in the morning, and then I would go. So I gotten into training when I was. Pretty young, I went out to Arizona for about a year uh, when I was around 2021. 20, about a year and a half, about. And uh, the the training there was a little bit different. So prior to that, you know, I was used to a lot of the one on one training. Arizona was more of a higher end uh, private training studio, but it was really unique because if you were if you were to walk into like a group training facility in most other places, people are doing like you know, bodyweight squats and maybe push-ups and working with some arbitrary pieces of equipment. But what we did that was really unique out there was we were working with just a gen pop so it was not a high-end athlete background. If if anything we called the majority of, of our of our members and clients like executive athletes. A lot of a lot of like CEOs and stuff like that, but they love to get out and work with barbells, kettlebells, things like that. So you know we would have classes solo coached of twenty, twenty-five people sometimes and people are doing barbell cleans, kettlebell swings, you know, they're, they're doing some more high end athletic exercises. So it really built this appreciation for me towards like just more quality training instead of just how many people can we throw in a room and get them to, to sweat. It was more like, it was more, more high end from that perspective where the, the training was more specific. Uh, and, and, and I, I really, really fell in love with that. So that's where I picked up uh, out in Scottsdale. I picked up my certification with Nike for golf performance. Uh, I only had one client in Arizona that was a golfer, which is disingenuous to Arizona because the golfing community is huge out mm-hmm. there. But just for me at the time and what our uh, our studio marketed towards, I didn't have that many golfers. But but I remember when I was working with him, it was something that even at that time, back in 2013, 14, I, I just loved. Um, so from there, Hold uh, on, when,
2: I'm going to pause you there for a second. Yeah. Wineback, back, you said you got into training early like how early what what age do you remember being when you got involved
0: uh training someone else uh, sixteen
2: okay what and about I, yourself? I think it was
0: training myself uh my my dad had a little little gym in the basement, so I mean I was probably down there working out with him when I was like ten, and I don't have like an exact time, but I remember I was I was young and again it was like you know, my dad was, and, and I think that this has been beneficial for me, but my dad was very old school with his workouts.
3: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: we're talking like pushups, bench press, lat pull down, bicep curls, like nothing, nothing groundbreaking, you know, kind of like an old school style of training, but that that's what we had in the basement. So yeah, I, I started really, really young with that.
2: Okay. And then you mentioned in Arizona, you kind of developed this love for golf training. What did you love about it?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think so the, the Nike certification was through uh, this, this institute called the Gray Institute. So Gary Gray is more of a, of a, of a functional-based training philosophy, philosopher, and his style of training is, is more catered to that. So when I, when I picked up the cert, you know, it was, a, it was I think, a five- or six-month course online, and then you had to do a three-day seminar to kind of cap it off. So before I went to Arizona, I had already finished the online stuff. It just so happened to be that the job that I wanted to kind of pick up and go take was in Arizona. And that's where I had to finish the certification as well. So when I came in, I had you know about 90% of any of the information I was going to get from the course already like in my brain. So when I started at the studio in Arizona, I was uh, approaching the movements there that we were doing. Again, complex, but nothing nothing outside of like what we would call more of your like bilateral sagittal like one-dimensional athletes right like we weren't working many rotate much rotation based Mm -hmm. drills you know it was a lot of a lot of just single plane movement but complex but I was looking at it already from the perspective of golf and the stuff that we learned in the certification course so to your point what interested me the most in golf was the the complexity of the movement and seeing that like breaking down like a barbell clean is not easy some you know there are some people that make careers out of doing that and they mm-hmm. should because there's a lot of especially when you're trying to move 2 to 3 times your body weight right that that stuff's really complex but for me at the at the time it it just it wasn't what resonated with me like i wanted to understand three-dimensional movement more I wanted to understand you know how does a body react to a moving object and then how does that object react to that body and, and can you can you from a performance standpoint and a movement standpoint train that which is something that as you know Lauren is like I, I think probably the biggest thing that I, I guess the gap that I kind of like to fill at Golf and Body which mm-hmm. is you know we have Great coaches and they know what they're doing, but some people just like it's just movement. Like the people they're working with just need to understand the movement. It's not like, hey, you know, feel your hands get low and the face path from inside to out. And it's like as important as that is, there's still there's still something breaking in the the connection from object to movement that I like to try and and fill that void. So that was kind of the kicker for me in Arizona was I was like, yeah, like I like this is good. And when I had that first that one client that was like all golf, I was like, I want I want more people that are doing this.
2: Okay. And then, so what, what, what came next after Arizona?
0: Uh, So Arizona was, uh, when I, when I left there, I went to Florida and I actually completely went the opposite way. I, 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 Arizona was a great experience for me professionally, but in terms of my respect towards the industry, I was like, I don't, I don't want to just be like a trainer like this, like to me to, to come in and have to, you know, at that stage of my career, I had to probably do, you know, six sessions a day, six, six group sessions a day, plus another three to four personal training sessions a day to, to make a kind of decent living as a single dude who's like 20, 21. Uh, but I knew it wasn't going to be good as someone who was going to be married and want to have kids and a family. So I was like, I want to get, I want to stay in the field but I want to look into more of a, of a lead role. So when I took the job in Florida, I, I took a position as a head trainer uh, for, for an outdoor boot camp had nothing to do with golf, had nothing to do with, with anything along the stuff that we were even doing. If anything, it was, it was the, 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 the polar opposite to what I was just talking about. The, it wasn't high end functional, right? We're working with people that are there purely for weight loss. Um, and what I loved about it was I had two trainers that were part of my team. And then I had three interns that we would cycle through. So there was a lot of me getting to coach other, other trainers which is something that i had always wanted to do even in arizona Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Uh, and this was a good opportunity for that so you know the head position allowed me to program design allowed me to again to work with other trainers and and interns um and even then i still found a way like we introduced a uh, a kettlebell specific class so i would have one of my coaches work with with a group of of, uh, members that wanted to work in just generic weight loss and and just hit training and, and and cardio and then I was working with the same mindset, but just kettlebell only. So it was a kettlebell only workshop, uh, and that that blossomed into something that um, that I that I loved as well. So um, that was kind of the next step, and and it was good because it because of the lead role. But again, like I, it, I really I lost complete interest in just wanting to be a trainer. That just wasn't there at that stage.
1: And I have a question, if I might jump in here. Um, so during that time period were you equally looking at ways to improve your ability to learn new ways of training during that time as you were trying to improve the performance of your clients?
0: Yeah, yeah, if if anything I was more I was more motivated if anything I was more motivated then to go home and read and study about stuff that was not applicable to my immediate clientele than than any other point prior I was more because I because I wasn't in it like I felt like I, I felt when I was in Arizona like I, I had and there was a lot of conflict within the community of, of the work culture but I had two or three maybe four coaches where I could sit down and just nerd out like it lunch like, we would have books out we'd be pulling up video like there's all the stuff that we were doing that was not the case in Florida so I was more motivated to go home and do that because I, I think for eight hours a day I wasn't actually physically present in that
2: yeah. I think that's interesting. Right. I was, I was thinking about that too, Kevin, right? Like you can already hear in your story, like this is balancing of, I mean, I've got to work, right? Like uh, pay the bills, make money, try and build a career, but also that searching for the things that truly motivate you and the things that you're interested in.
3: Right. Yeah. 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 Um
0: So, so I, from there that that trend that trend continued uh I um so I when I was in I, I left that job and I had a, a little bit of a gap and the way the way that that job ended I I again I, when I when I was done with it I was like I don't I actually don't now I don't want anything to do with uh with fitness I don't want anything to do with with the industry you know if anything I may study it for myself but I'm I'm gonna get out so I took a little bit of a break and I and I actually Spent the next eight months uh, going through a hiring process to uh, take a position out in Arizona to work with uh, Border Patrol. So I was done with the industry. I, I, I had I had gone through. The, I mean, the hiring process for that's pretty extensive because there there are a lot of interviews, background checks, things like that. So basically, you know, my my parents lived in Florida. When I was working for this job prior, I was about an hour away from them. Uh, in Florida, but about an hour away from them. Now I, I moved back in with them. I'm I'm running every day. I'm training every day, just getting ready for um for Border Patrol. I go through the interviewing process, I finish up the I finish up the process, I take the polygraph, and I fail the polygraph. And for for whatever reason <laughs> what um, did you lie about? <laughs> no yeah he, he pointed it out, it made it very obvious. Uh, I was lying about drug abuse and uh, things along the lines of like arson and other illegal acts that I just apparently I couldn't I I, I, I you know I don't know so
2: spent you coming to haunt you <laughs> yeah I guess I
0: guess and it was funny because you know when when I was going through the process like I've never done I don't know have you guys ever done a polygraph
2: I've seen them I I did an internship in a prison when I was in college so I've seen I've seen them and seen things like that yeah
0: there there's nothing there's nothing comfortable um about about a polygraph like I you know they I so I'm sitting on on I'm sitting on on uh motion sensors I have motion sensors on my ankle it's it, it sounds bad but it's not this bad they have a chain around my chest that has a motion sensor sensor I have a blood pressure cuff that sits on on me at, at, like so like if you go to the doctor and they take your blood pressure it's like uncomfortable for 10 seconds but they he, he had it on me for five minutes so like oh. I'm losing feeling and it's just it was horrible and <laughs> And when I, when I, when I didn't pass that, I went and I spoke with, like, guess I have a guy that works now, a buddy of mine who's a port authority cop and other people have had to do this stuff. And they completely admitted, they said a lot of the polygraph uh, testers are, they're just not good. And it has an effect on a lot of people because he was like, first off, even if, even if it was going to take him another two, two hours to test you he was only supposed to leave the cuff on for no more than 60 seconds because I mean, I'm losing feeling in my finger. Like I, I and it's, you know what I mean? Like it was, there was nothing comfortable about it. And uh, he was like, you just, you just, you, you drew the short end of the stick. So after, after that process and that had happened um, I had met my, my fiance in Florida. She was uh, taking a, an internship, a professional internship with Disney and doing the college program and all that stuff. Um, so then we decided to move up to Buffalo because that's where, where she grew up. She was done with her internship. I obviously wasn't working in Florida. I was just about to start working. It, only, it had only been about a month since the whole polygraph, the Border Patrol thing. So I was going to start working for a company uh, called Orange Theory uh, as, a, as a studio manager and a, rather as a head trainer with the intent of becoming a studio manager down in Florida. That guy happened to know someone who was opening a location. The, the general manager knew someone that was opening a location up Buffalo did the interview over the phone, went up, took the job. And my, my goal now was to work, excuse me, front end and then into, into being an assistant studio manager. And I wanted to be a studio manager from there. Cause I, I didn't, I didn't want to train again.
2: Is Was that not wanting to train? Was that burnout or something else?
0: Uh, you cut out say burnout.
2: Yeah. Was it was, sorry. Was you not wanting to train? Was that burnout or something else?
0: Um, I think it was, so Florida and Arizona, the, the, the pay wasn't the best. And it was the, it was the, the model that I think is not six is not successful for a lot of trainers who are passionate, which was, you know, like, you're going to, you're going to try to hit quotas and you're going to build, like it felt too much too salesy. I felt way too salesy in both those positions. So I was like, I'm just going to go out and coach people do, do the best that I can, but I'm not going to sit here and cold call. Like that's not, that's to me, that's not, you know, that's that's I, I can't wear both those hats successfully. Um, because then when I'm training somebody, all I'm thinking about is selling them on the next session. Like I can't like I, I needed to be separate from that. So um the, the intent it wasn't it wasn't burnout, it was I felt uh, and it's not like Orange Theory paid well for their managers, but like I felt that I could have earned a higher living just being a manager and then maybe picking up clients on the side than then focusing on being a trainer and just hoping that, you know, if, if I fill my book and if, if my, you know, if my classes are filled up, that, that I'll be able to to pay rent.
2: Mm. So you've so, got almost what sounds, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, it sounds almost like you've got this competing motivation of <laughs> wanting to, to make money and make a living, but also wanting that, kind of intrinsically motivated feel of just doing something you love doing.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And and you know, I whether knowing me or not, you know, I I've always been very like just a very recalcitrant individual. Like I've I've never I've never done well with authority. I just I haven't. And it's weird because like I never bucked up against my parents, never bucked up against like my friends' parents. Like I never had that problem. But when it came to to just like this feeling of teachers and school and and the the feeling of certain certain managers and other positions that I've had who who would they didn't they didn't understand the depth of training at the at the level that I felt I did but it was about the business model to them so it wasn't about the quality of the trainer it was just simply about their ability to sell that's when I it's it's like if I jump on Instagram right I, I I'll always struggle to compete with the the accounts of the people who know how to make their their fitness pages look cool and the music's there and it's edited well but i can look at it from my eye and be like that the form's horrible like it doesn't like the quality's not there but they can they can market it so like that i've always struggled with so when when i had when i had taken the 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 front end position with with orange theory i again now trying to get it to, to this higher level right and trying to achieve this higher level i'm seeing that it's it's still a very salesy process it's still a very like doesn't really matter what you know. It's Just you got to make the sale, right? You got you got to close, and then if you want to be a manager, you'll be a manager. So I bit the bullet, just sat there for as long as I could while looking for other jobs, and then I found a um, a weight just a weight loss training facility in Buffalo that paid better in terms of the, the, the hourly rate. It was just it was better pay uh and and i went back i just bit the bullet and i went back to training they got the you know i i went in and the process was you take a class you'd work out you'd meet the you'd meet the uh the coo and uh, he was big enough where he had four or five locations and i got wrapped i got wrapped back into the training again because i wanted to be they had an option to be a head trainer and to work your way up and and, and the, the the guy who owned the company who's who's doing just he's not doing well now. For, for reasons that are reflective of who he is as a person but at the time he had these big you know big goals I want to franchise I want to grow you know uh he played it off that he appreciated like my knowledge and perspective on programming and leading other trainers so it was you know when we franchise and, and we're opening up hundreds of locations you're going to be part of a franchise team you know you'll go to the locations you'll train the trainers there you'll get them ready train them in our model all that other stuff so I was super interested so I got in you know, I, I didn't like the training. Uh, I love the people I got to, to train. The members were great, but I didn't, I didn't like the training because, um, you know, it just, it wasn't, it, it wasn't, again, what I wanted, to be, I don't want to be training weight loss. I don't want to be training, you know, we, th- this model was different. We would sometimes have 45 people in a class with two coaches. So that was fun. Being able to riff with another coach was, was awesome. And being able to run the room with another coach was awesome. It was, it, that end of it was fantastic. And I, and I made some you know, what I feel are lifelong friends from that environment. But, but again, we didn't, we didn't foster that friendship, that growth wasn't fostered on, on like our knowledge and passion for coaching. It was, it was actually fostered on our disgust and disdain towards the guy who was running the facility because a lot of us were working. I mean, I was working, like I lived in Tonawanda. You guys don't know anything about the Buffalo. Maybe you do, but Mm -hmm. I lived in Tonawanda and East Aurora was, about an hour away from me, but I was doing that shift in the winter. So I'm up at 3.30 in the morning, shoveling out my truck, and then I'm driving. I'm getting there for 5.30 class. I'm coaching five classes. I'm driving back to Tonawanda to work a split because it's the only, only, I mean, it's the only thing I could do to make money. So now I'm working a split. The split ends at 10 o'clock. I'm going to bed by 12 and I'm doing it again the next Like It was just, it was horrible for my health. And a lot of it had to do with with this guy's management style and the way that like, he was like, you know, well, when I was building it up, I was grinding and I was doing, you know, all of this, like, you guys have to do it too. If you want to be successful. So I, again, it just, it built, it built a lot of hatred towards the, towards the industry. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to work my way up if this is, and I know I went on a little bit of a rant, so I apologize about <laughs> that, but, I, but like, it was just, it, I just, I had no interest, no interest at all in the industry At, at the most after that
2: yet you were trying to stay in it or you just felt like at that point you had to
0: um well I had to because it was the only way I you know I, I could eat so that was kind of like the the mindset then but um once the lease was up on my apartment Melissa and I looked at moving back down to Florida because she might she was thinking about working for Disney again anyway um and I was like you know we'll go back down. So, yeah, I mean, I was, that's kind of at this point where my resume was. So I was still looking in the field, but
1: you know, yeah. So what was the next event?
0: Uh, so I found uh, a startup in Ocala that uh, had an interesting business model. Uh, it was one that, uh, you know, I thought was, I thought was going to do well. So moved down to Florida. Um, my parents, where they lived was about, Forty minutes from Ocala, so we we moved in with them just for about two or three months while we were waiting to get an apartment. Uh, took the job out there. We were we were about to pull the trigger on an apartment in Ocala, and then he he went under. He was like, I'm, I'm, you know, he he didn't have the funding, couldn't get the people in. Uh, so for about a month, uh, we kind of sat in the void. She was still working, I was still looking, and then that's when I found uh, the uh, the academy, the junior academy. And then that's where I was for about, about two years.
1: So what was it, um, how was the experience with the Academy? Is that, did that start striking the, uh, the boxes you were looking for?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So when I, when I had, when I had gone on there, and it it was really good too, because on, on paper, I wasn't, I wasn't qualified for the position. Um, But like by any means, I wasn't qualified for the position. They were looking for a strength and conditioning coach uh, for, for golf. And their director of fitness had just left for a personal reason. So um, when I came on and I interviewed for that and I told them a little bit more about the functional stuff. And, and again, all of the stuff that I had been kind of studying and researching, because even in Buffalo, it was the same thing. I hated going and coaching, but I would still go home and, and read like that's, I just, I had to, because if I didn't, I felt like I was going to get stuck and then I was going to be stuck doing that for the rest of my life. So mm-hmm. I was like, I want to keep trying to get ahead of that. Um, so it it resonated with the director of instruction. Uh, they, they offered me the position. I took it within a a few weeks, we got an apartment out down by where the Academy was. And, um, yeah, I mean, really for the next year, year and a half, it, it was the, the work environment was hectic, but I was loving what I was doing and who I was working with. And, and I had always had the juxtaposition of what I had to do in Buffalo. Like if I had you know, we had to work tournaments, as, as Lauren was probably aware for her experience in junior golf. And the tournaments are not, like, they're 18-hour they're weekends for, for me and the coaches. Like, they're not easy. We're usually driving the students. And there were a lot of flaws in the academy, especially that academy in terms of the, the hierarchy of who did what and, and the task orientation of who was supposed to do what. And, and the, at the end of the day, it always fell on the shoulders of the coaches and, and myself uh, and, as, as the, uh, on the performance staff um which created a strong community uh but yeah i mean it was it was what i wanted to be doing and i loved it so the hours weren't bad and then uh he sold the academy to another another academy and when the academies essentially merged um that's when i realized i was kind of back in the environment again where i'm like i don't i don't want to work for this person
1: can you tell us a little bit about what a day looked like particularly when it was good what did you do what did your uh every day or routine look like at that point
0: yeah um so we had uh we we would run full-time students we would run short-time students and then we would run postgraduate students so i had the postgrads every day they were the like kids that are out of high school but usually foreigners that had you know from other countries that would take a, a, a leap a gap year and they would come and they would they would train because they would want to get into potentially get into a, a higher division, college uh, college in America. But um, every day I would I would get and I would work with them from eight to nine in the morning. We would have the the the, the campers or the short timers from usually nine to about twelve, and then from one thirty to about six we would have the full time students five days a week. Um, Saturdays were optional on my end if I wanted to go in and earn a little extra. I could go in and take some private lessons unless we had a tournament. And then I would be given usually two tournaments a month. And the tournaments were, you know, you'd get up five, five thirty, you drive the kids to the tournament. On my end, I would help warm them up, stretch movements, whatever, to get them ready to play. And then I would just follow them around give them some encouragement, you know, just to actual, just be a physical presence for them while they were playing in the tournament, drive them home and then that was it. So it was, I mean, it was training all day from usually, you know, usually 7.30, 7.45 in the morning till till about six o'clock at night, five days a week. So it was it was good. It was a good environment.
2: What did you love about that?
0: Uh, it was specific to one thing, and it was golf. Um, you know, it was, I well, the most important thing was for the first time, I, I actually had autonomy. So like the, the programming I could develop, um, the training was, you know, I had two, two guys that were part-time assistants. Um, so again, it was the same thing. I could, I could develop the program. I could sit down with them and go over it. and they were great. You know, there, there was no ego amongst the three of us. We were very focused on just quality training and a good, excuse me, a good product. So, you know, I was able to offer that and, uh, and it was just very like, you know, I had, I had to match the owners goals and objectives which were never clear-cut and you never had any idea what he wanted to do ever Uh, but the director of instruction was very precise in his process so he and I as well as the director of of mental performance there uh, we we would have a lot of you know usually once or twice a week sit down and just mastermind for 20 minutes because it was always always hectic you know there were always private lessons being thrown in and like I mean I never I just like, like he I I never took lunch because I was usually given someone to train at 12 or i'd be training them at one it's just it was all over the place so the 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 actual structure was not efficient at all and i don't know if that's anything you can attest to with other academies but it was just it was chaotic but actually i I found from that that i that i that i thrive in a form of controlled chaos i kind of like having randomness throughout the day if it's happening in my workday, i kind of like it
1: did it feel good to have the things that you've been reading about, did it feel good to finally put the, the rubber to the road, as they say?
0: Yeah, yeah, completely. I mean, it was, I felt like everything was kind of, you know, again, there was always the grass is greener, where it's like, okay, we didn't have a facility, so everything we did was outside. Uh, and in Florida, at, in summer, it's freaking brutal. Uh, so yes, you're, you're limited <laughs> with some of the stuff you can do. Sure. Um, but I was still, you know, I, ha- I had the things that I needed. Um, you know, I would have loved an indoor facility with an impact wall and, and barbells and like everything that I, uh, but I didn't have that, but I still had more because I was able to, to to just, I was able to at least do the things that I had been looking at and learning and studying for the past, what I felt were four or five years.
1: And would you say that it was a a really good feeling or how would you describe seeing progress based on the things that you had created as far as training?
0: I mean, it was it was. It was euphoric for me. You know, the, the, the days went by really fast. Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, I even now I struggle to feel complacent and comfortable. Uh, but at, at that point, when I pinned it up against the rest of my career, I felt very comfortable. Like I knew there was still more I wanted to do and I didn't want to be doing that for the next five years. Um, but, I was like, okay, like now I can kind of see the path of my, the trajectory of my career starting to kind of make sense.
2: At that point, how many years into your career were you about?
0: So that would have been, what it was, uh, 26, so six years probably, six years.
2: So you're feeling good about kind of where you've been thus far. Are you feeling like an expert at that point? Are you feeling confident?
0: I think I I was I was feeling I was definitely feeling confident in in my ability to to do what I was doing in in that field. Um, I don't know if I'll ever feel a level of mastery at all. So I definitely like if I'm not feeling it now, I was not feeling it then for sure. Uh, but I, I I felt I felt comfortable in in what I was doing without a doubt, without a doubt for the first time in probably yeah six years at that point
2: yeah. Okay. And so from there tell us kind of the next part of the story. So, uh
0: the academies, you know, the academies kind of, you know, they they merged and we we moved locations, we doubled the student base, uh effectively doubling the well, kind of but doubling the staff. And uh once we got into that new environment, I I knew within just a couple days of meeting the staff and and, and just being present there that this was, it was, it was not appreciative. Like the guys that I worked for and with at the Academy prior to the merger were very themselves, but were very appreciative and respectful towards growth. So they, they wanted to see someone get better. They wanted to to learn, right? We wanted to, when we could, we wanted to sit down and talk about what we were working on and, and how we can make one student better. And we were, we were all, I mean, you know, performance staff and the mental staff were monitoring, uh, during busy weeks and busy months, you know, close to 75 students, 80 students a week. The coaches were, with the exception of the director of instruction, were monitoring the, the, the eight to 10 in their group. Uh, but there was always that ability to focus on one kid, you know, this what we're gonna do is one kid. And it was, that was good to see when I got to the other location it that was gone. You know, no one really wanted to talk much about, uh, about integration and 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 looking at the team approach i mean me the coach and the you know, i it was arbitrary compared to what we get now over golf the body but i handled the medical as well for uh, for the academy and um you know at the first academy you could sit down and you could talk as a team and then when we when we merged, it was silo you know performance does performance and mental does mental and golf does golf and medical does medical and you don't really waste your time Collectively collaborating as a team. You know, if everyone, it was the, it was kind of the thought process of if everyone does their job without thinking of other people and we're all good at our job, the kids should just get better. <laughs> and, uh, you know, once I got, once I had, I had seen that, I was like, I, I can't, like, I, can't, I just, I can't, I can't do this. So the, within, within a week of being there, I just, I was on Indeed and Instagram and just LinkedIn and looking for, for jobs anywhere. You know, I, I told, you know, Melissa wasn't thrilled with what she was doing for work. She worked for an awesome person, but she wasn't loving it. I said, you know, if we can look at, at other places, you know, let's look at other places. And I uh, came across Golf and & Body, and that was kind of the, the next step.
2: So as someone who loves culture and, and works on culture, I hear this element of element of that throughout your story and throughout your kind of career. What do you, this might sound like a dumb question, but what do you like about that collaboration? Like what, what, what is that? It sounds like that's something that you really like having in the work that you're doing. Tell us a little bit more about that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's when you're, when you're in the right place and you're working with the right people, you, I mean, there's always going to be an ego when you're working with the right people and you're collaborating on simply getting that one person better, it feels like there's a very excuse me, diminished aspect of, of that ego. Like the ego, it feels like there's one ego. And the one ego is to is to say that we're like we're the best team. Like that's the vibe that I get is it's like, you know, you can you can look at you can look at the academy now and, and if you were to go in there and you were to say, you were to go up to a coach and you were to say, "What's the best part of this place?" and they would say, "The golfing's good." Or if you go up to a student, they may say, "The food's not bad," right? But when we were at the academy prior to the prior to the merger, um, people would come in, like parents would bring their students in, and they were coming from behemoths like IMG and Ledbetter, right? Mm-hmm. Places that looked beautiful. I mean, you walk in, you're like, "Okay, this." It makes sense that we're going to pay one hundred thirty thousand a year to send our kid here you'd come to us. I mean, we're, we're on the back of a, of a, of a range. Like we don't have equipment. I have kids hitting tires with sledgehammers and picking up like rusty weights, but the parents would leave and, and, and they would be like, well, I just, I felt like it was a team. Like when my kid was being screened by the director of instruction, you had the mental coach there, you had an assistant golf coach there and you had the performance coach or one of the performance coaches there. And it, it felt like everyone was going to help that student get better. So I think collectively as a culture, the thing that matters to me the most is like, like if, if I was, if I was, if I built a company and I was fostering a, a work environment and I was trying to sell someone on on, on giving me, you know, their, you know, their time and, and money to t- take part in my services, I'd want them to say, you guys are one of the best training teams that I've, that I've ever seen. Because I, I think that that's the important part of the, of the culture is that the team is number one. Mm-hmm. The team is number one. It does, It doesn't matter if, if I spend 80% of my time with you and it doesn't matter because the team is, is the, the center point.
2: Is that typical of the line of work that you're in? No, no. You mentioned, you know, it's interesting. I think you mentioned a while back now that, you know, kind of people in your, in your, space you you know you kind of feel like you're competing against i guess if you will on instagram you know do you see yourself as being different than than the kind of other people in your line of work um i,
0: I mean i i think that i think like if i if i look at all the stuff that i put on social i would say that the that the, that the quality would still be in the coaching of it and not in the movement Right, so like, there's there's certain stuff that I just don't post because I think that that's that it's it's too deep and dear to me that if I put it out there and I try to explain it, people are probably never going to see it from my perspective. No one's ever going to be as excited about it as I am, which is which is fine. I think that's a good thing. Um, but I but I think that I think that the reason why the, the field lacks that collect that collectivity and and, and collaborative culture is because. I, th- there are too many people with business models that have to have this justification process where it's like, why would I have a sales guy if my trainer can sell himself or why would I have you know a trainer if, if the, sa- if the sales guy can get people in and, 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 you know, why do I need someone like, I, they don't need to be that good. They just need to be able to, to sell. Right. And I think that the reason why you don't see that as much in this industry is because if you take the Academy setting, it starts from the top down. And if, if, if the guy at the top is saying, which would happen very often for both academies, if the guy at the top is saying, well, my housing staff is doing their job, you know, you guys need to step it up. You've already created, separatism like you're done like as a leader you're done if if, if you have a round table as a leader and you openly say what your thoughts are and beliefs are prior to anyone else speaking you've already cultivated that environment to bias your belief Mm -hmm. so like what every place that I've ever worked in well again not currently but every place that I've ever worked in prior to golf and body when you would sit down in that round table environment right you would always have the guy, the, the the leader, the boss, whatever you want to call it, he would already set the tone for the environment. And that was it. Like, like you, you're not gonna get someone's honest feedback if you're already, the guy who has the potential to fire you is already telling you what he believes in. Mm. Why would I be honest if I disagree? And I think that that's why I've always like, like, like granted, I've, I've left a lot of my other companies. I've also been fired from a lot of other places I've worked at as well, Because because, I was getting to the end of my time there already, and I was like, "Buddy, like I, I, disagree. Like, like I, I don't, I don't think this is how it should be." And I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying let's sit down. Like, like I'm in the, like I would tell the guy in Buffalo, I'm in the trenches. You're not. You superimpose everything, but but I'm working at every location. I'm working with every trainer. I'm training over, over a thousand people a week in terms of the people that come through all the locations. Like, you need to understand that if you want to know why your trainers are upset, let me let me tell you. It's not that you're bad at what you do. It's not like, but but like, but like, we can, we can talk about this. You can look at it from your perspective and my perspective. And it was the same thing, you know, with the academy, both of them, for sure. People, you know, I think that's why that that aspect of, uh, in this field, it's it's really tough. It's really tough because for whatever reason, people want to justify that the coach does this 80% of the time and the trainer only does this 20% of the time. So the trainer should only get 20% of the pay. Like that's like, that's like the, and I never, and I never understood that ever.
1: There, that's not uncommon in some of the research and expert performance in that they advocate or at least some advocate that one should look at what the actual uh, performers on the ground are doing instead of necessarily the prescribed uh, common place. Um, so, yeah, you're definitely spot on. If you're on the boots on the ground, so to speak, you probably have a better insight into what's actually happening and what leads to improvement. Um Yeah. So, if I'm not mistaken, you're considered one of the top trainers there are, as far as ranking.
0: Yeah, yeah. Golf Digest uh, put out a list in January with their top 50 in America, and, and I mean, it was it was awesome. I was able to get on that list, and so that was that was great.
1: Well, congratulations on that. Um, Thanks. Was there that obvious? Um, acknowledgement for your ability was there ever a point that you started to feel as if you were approaching that type of recognition or ranking like do you feel that you're that strong of a trainer um
0: it's it's tough because like I've been asked that question before and I like I don't I don't really follow many other trainers it's just like on Instagram and like through through my own like connections. I don't, I don't, I don't message like enough. Like I didn't prior, let's say prior to the list, I wouldn't have messaged the top 50 and been like, wow, like how do I do what you do? And that's not because I didn't, I didn't see value in that. I think I've always been someone to kind of stay in my own lane. And I've always gotten, I felt in my mind that I've always gotten kickback for my style of training and, Mm -hmm. and the stuff that I do. And, um, that was especially present in in the latter half of my time with the academy which motivated me even more to put stuff on on social which was part of the reason why one i got the job at golf and body was you know my instagram was all golf up to that point and uh two it was a a, as expressed to me by the people who make the decision it was uh a a huge factor as to why um, i was considered for the list was yeah, I had a, I had, and I had nothing to do with my following. My following has gotten bigger now. When I, when I was, I guess, picked, I only had like twelve hundred followers. So it wasn't like I had like ten thousand followers and things like that. Like, but my stuff on there was, I, I felt very genuine to, to how I trained. Like I wasn't on there just trying to put stuff out there to to chase likes and views stuff that looked good or had cool like I mean it was raw footage like I mean it's me on a windy range like trying to talk and it's it doesn't look good but but I put I would always put a lot of time into how I would break it down and what I would write and the stuff that I would say and yeah I think that that was a a a big factor of it but but no I I don't I don't know if that's good or bad but I don't know if I sit there and say yeah you know what I'm I'm definitely a top 50.
1: Can I ask you a two-part question um would you go as far as to consider yourself a disruptor and then also how did you go about developing your newer techniques or the things that you were getting kicked back on?
0: Uh, yeah, I think I, I'm a disruptor for sure. I, I don't think, I don't think actively, I think, I think at times for, there was definitely spite behind it. Um, but I think just naturally there's, there's, there's a disruptive tendency in terms of the ebb and flow of an industry and then in what I try to do. Uh, and then the, your second question again,
1: uh, how would you, how did you go about developing the techniques that you said you were getting the pushback for
0: Um, results? I think, I think, you know, like the, the uh, I was actually on a call the other day with someone and then they very appropriately stated, you know, like a lot of people haven't been able to work in performance in an environment, mainly at the Academy. I mean, this is present in golf and body, but this is really present at the Academy. Not many people have been able to work in performance in an environment where you could facilitate real-time training with real-time change so my, my job like Kevin my job in the academy was if if, the, if a coach came up to me and said this kid struggles with with pressure at, into, the, into the lead side at impact and as a result they pull hook everything fix it if I if after I worked on them and they got over the ball and it wasn't fixed I wasn't going to be working there anymore so I, whether, whether my stuff, cause this is the big kickback I got in the latter half of my time at the Academy, whether my stuff was research based or it was scientifically proven at the end of the day, I said, well, I'm out here and they're clearly making change. So whether your, you know, your science and your research can back it up, doesn't really matter to me because the stuff that I'm doing, even if I'm not saying it as art, as articulate and direct and, and, and as scripted as possible my stuff, it's still creating change. So in that, I think that that's where I was able to build that confidence. And then also that comfortability, putting my, my, my stuff out there because I was able to see that change.
1: So some of your uh critics were wanting to go specifically by the book. It sounds like
0: that's, that's the majority of kickback. I get a hundred percent. Gotcha. 100%. So what,
2: I have this lingering question in mind so I'm sorry I have to go back.
0: <laughs> sure.
2: It's there's, there's this one part of your story that I just find super fascinating. Not just because of how you described the polygraph part of it, but you have this element of like that you were just getting into there of like autonomy and wanting that freedom to you know It sounds like experiment and get better and develop your craft, all that, to produce change in people, right? But then there's this part of your story where you're going to go and work in arguably one of the probably most controlled environments ever. Like, what was that?
0: I mean, it could have just been opposite day, you know, like in my (laughs) mind, you know, like, like, but seriously, like for me, it could have been like, all right, I've I've tried this. It's not going to work. I'm at least going to get into an environment where, where I'm sacrificing autonomy for at least structure in day, pay and time. Like, like I at least know that, okay, there's going to be, you know, pay, and I don't know if the pay is going to be good, but like, I'm going to get benefits. Like I'm going to get a retirement. Like it's going to, it's going to at least structure my day. And then from there I can kind of create whatever chaos or find whatever chaos I want. Um, but that's the only thing I could think of because, because I've gone to that a lot. You know, there were a lot of times and I didn't mention this in the beginning throughout like me when I left high school up until maybe just before the academy where I was thinking like, you know, maybe I'll get into law enforcement uh, or attempt to get into law enforcement. Maybe I'll look at something like military, like it it would pop up very often. Mm. And I think there's a level of attraction for me with, with that kind of structure uh, because in this field, there's always this vibe that like, you know, you're starving. Art, you know, starving artist. You know, like you're always going to be hungry. Like you're never going like, which. So that's the only thing. I, that's the only thing I can think
3: of.
2: Yeah, I sorry. I had to go back. I just find it fascinating, right? That all these other ways you've you've kind of pushed against that. Yeah. Um. And then there's this one element, right, where it's like, well, let me try that hat on for size for a little bit. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: So I was also curious. Um, during that unhappy span, you said you would go home, and I think you alluded to it, um, that you would go home and read to get better during that time that you were at most unhappy. Um, but I'm curious, what led you to dive deeper instead of actively pulling away? Was it simply to pass the time while you were doing it, or did you know that you were going to stay in it long-term at that point?
0: Uh if if I think back to my unhappiest and I was doing most of that, it was purely, purely out of anger, purely. I mean, I think my, my intent with that was if like, if I'm going to put, if I'm going to, if I'm going to get out of this environment and essentially like, it sounds bad, but like put the, the person that's holding me, holding me down to shame I need to know what I'm talking about and if I want to advance like again for me uh, I didn't I didn't preface this at the beginning I'm I I did one semester of college and I was done dropped out of college I had no interest in it and I knew that if I wanted to move further in the field I was going to be competing against people with with a college education now whether it was whether it was applicable or not I knew that I was going to be in that position where if I advanced in the field I was going to have I was going to have to know more than like you know the stuff that I was doing to pay my, to pay my bills at the time. Wow. So I think that was part of the motivation.
1: So in a nutshell, you've gone from basically putting together your own education to becoming one of the top 50 trainers, as far as rankings, that's quite an accomplishment.
0: Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, yeah, I, I mean, a lot of, like a lot of the stuff that, that I, I mean, te- like textbooks and research papers are a huge part of of my studying now and even then but but a lot of what I was reading uh like people in the field would would understand too but like a lot of the con the the content that I was looking at was arbitrary as well like a lot and a lot of the the individuals that that were a lot of the stuff that I was reading about wasn't like you weren't like if I went and, and I and I asked a hundred percent of people who are in school right now to let's say be a physical therapist they're not going to know about that stuff just because sure. it's 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 already outside the lines and that's what interested me
1: sure and it sounds like you almost wanted um you it's almost like uh, bruce lee's mantra if it's correctly attributed to him take what's useful and disregard the rest yeah yeah
2: yeah so at this point you're at golf and body right and how would you describe, I'm trying to think about not putting any words, many words into your mouth here. How would you describe how, how you feel about where you're at in your career?
0: Well, um, it's an unbelievably interesting cli- clientele and membership base. You know, excuse me, the majority of the individuals we get to work with are what would, I would assume, right? For you guys to be labeled as high performers, um, you know, they're, they're very successful in their fields. Uh, some of them have, have fostered and built their own their own niche niche within that field and have taken it to a level where, I mean, they can be members and and are are doing well for themselves. So in terms of the people I get to interact with uh, prior to COVID, but I got to interact with daily, um, that in and of itself is just incredible. The 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 training there is it's just me like in my mind, like, I'm like, I mean, I collaborate with, with director of sports med and I collaborate with the golf coaches and, and uh, collaborate with you, but the, the training, like, I don't, it doesn't need to be screened, right. It's, it's it I don't need to ask anyone. Like if I just, I just, I just do my thing and, and it's, and it, it's great. I know for me, there's still that burning desire to, 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 to continue to, to work with collegiate uh, and professional Level athletes for the sake of doing what I'm doing at a high, a highly competitive level,
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh, at a level where it's like, to your point before Kevin, with how do I feel about like, do I feel like I'm a top 50? I mean, part of me feels like I'm not going to know that until I work with the, with a tour pro and see how they perform. Like that, like that's my that's my mindset, and that's like I I went back when I and I. I think i have the piece of paper somewhere but i went back and i wrote down like my top five goals when i was getting ready to uh to to leave the academy and and one of those for me is to work with um professional a professional level athlete if not professional level uh, um, players for a team or something like that because that that for, for me that has nothing to do with clout and everything to do with i need to prove it to myself that that's the main thing is i want to know at that at that high of a level because i feel like look you you know this one we have some members that are reeks of players i mean they, they, we have some 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 guys and, and i and i have the opportunity to work with some of those guys that are r- very good players um and that still does feed that need a little bit for me um but that's that's part of what i want to bleed in with with what i'm currently doing is i definitely want to get to that to that point just to prove it to myself no other reason
1: and how much of an impact would you say that creating that list of goals how much did that help you achieve them? Do you think that that was critical?
0: Yeah, uh, because I, r- I wrote it down from like the perspective of, you know, it, like in 15 years from now, if if I'm not at least striving to these, like I'm not gonna, like if I settle for something else, I'm not gonna be happy. Like even if I never achieve them, I just wanna know that I have them to strive for. That's so, kind of, I guess, how I feel about it.
1: So that's kind of your thing in the distance to look, to work towards, it sounds like. Yeah, okay. yeah, for sure.
2: So if we look at you for a second to kind of build on that, if we look at you as a performer, what are, so you write, you have jotted down these goals. What are some other things you do so that you can operate at peak performance?
0: Uh, well, I mean, being like in Florida, I could actually at any point, and okay, this ties into what you were just saying about border patrol. At at no other point in my career have I actually had a schedule that was structured. So every other place I worked, it was like, okay, we have a 5am class. You got to teach it. Right. We have, you know what, you're going to have to, you're going to have just out of nowhere, last minute, Hey, we need you to go to a tournament on a Saturday. So any plans you and your fiance have, they're done. You got it. You got to go to that tournament. Now, the number one thing that I have. And and, and I've actually, I've been happy with it during COVID, but I haven't been thrilled. And I think that's what's hurting me the most is I have had a structure and a routine for at least the four past four or five months since, since being up here, where, you know, I know my days, I build my day around it, I build in my workouts around it, I build in my meals around it, I build in, my, uh, and it gets a little too structured sometimes where I'll build in my quality time with my fiance around it, which shouldn't be the case. Um, that should just be as impromptu. And, Honey,
2: and, you got five to five yeah. fifteen today. Oh, no, I know. And, and
0: when, I, when I was first, when I first started, I kinda, I kinda took that approach and that was wrong. But again, it was, it was a learning curve. So, cause I've never had to worry about that. I mean, to be honest, when I was anywhere else, it was purely random. Like, Hey, you know what? I have two hours on a Saturday. Let's, you know, we'll go get dinner or whatever. So, um, I think routine has been big, uh and then something that i've that I've found that's been super helpful for me lately has been instead of going in with a task a task list for the day has just been making the day like like theming my day, so you know saying and i don't I don't really know how else to explain it like I know that that we had sat down and I had gone over through a list of words what my core values are. Right. And I picked my top five and, and I said, you know what, instead of, instead of saying, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and this, that day, I just, I would take that, that core value and I would apply it to the day. And I would say, okay, if my core value, like one of them was relentlessness, if my, if relentlessness, if I thematically put that down on a Wednesday, what are the things that I can do on a Wednesday that would fill that void, that would, that would feed into that, into that, um, you know, into that theme and, and it's actually worked out really well. And I haven't, I mean, this, this past week, I haven't done it. Um, but the past couple weeks I have been doing it and, um, it's been very beneficial for me. It helps me with my workouts. It helps me with my, my downtime. It helps me with, with my quality time. And there's a lot that it, that it's, uh, it's, it's benefiting me for. Um, so that's, those are probably the, the, the biggest things right now is just sticking to a routine and then having like an intent, I guess, if, if you will, for the day.
2: So you have these long-term goals, you have these kind of intents, and then the routine helps you kind of navigate the the, the day-to-day stuff and, and feel like it's, there's some order to it. Absolutely, yeah.
1: Uh, what would you say you view as your keys to the success that you have had? Um,
0: even when I was thinking about switching fields, there there was still I never wavered on wanting to get I guess it's arbitrary but like get to the top like 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 if I had taken border patrol I I wouldn't have like when I was looking at that I wasn't just looking at border patrol I was looking at the specialty branches of that when I when I was thinking maybe want to do law enforcement or military it was the same thing as well so I always wanted I never wanted to be in a generic bubble even if it wasn't like like I never. I don't view myself ever being a CEO, but I, but I would love to be in a supportive role to a CEO. Same thing with training, right? Like I don't necessarily. I if, if I never trained a professional athlete, that's. And and again, at the academy, I had that opportunity. I would work with some some girls that played LPGA and Symmetra, but um, to actually work with and build a program and 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 look at the scalability of working with that one person for the duration of a training season, haven't had that yet. But even if I never got that, I think that. I think for me, it's always been wanting to achieve that. That's been, that's been important because it's like, you know, it, 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 it forces me to read certain things and study certain things and understand certain things and look at it from a lens of, okay, how could I, how could I even break this down more? And, and golf's beautiful for that because there's tons of stuff you can break down and, and dive into.
1: So do you create sub goals or do you just work towards the overall goal that you've set?
0: Well, unfortunately, the planner that I use is, is sitting at the office in, <laughs> in the city. But um, uh, in, in there, you know, you, it's structured to help you write out your week, short-term goals, and long-term goals. And the, the short-term stuff, uh, I've always struggled to, 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 in my mind, write out something for more than like a, 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 maybe a few months. Um, though the planner has helped with short-term stuff like growing Instagram and, and wanting to do certain things. Um, but yeah, I think, I think more of the long-term stuff is just stuff that I, that I think about, but the short-term stuff I'll actually have now, now, since coming up here, the short-term stuff has actually been written out and, you know, task, you know, are going to get this done, get this done, check that off. And I'm finding that like my weekly stuff too is, is also bleeding into that as well.
2: What created that shift? Why, why now?
0: Um, well, a lot of it has to do with 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 routine and schedule.
2: I,
3: mean,
0: I, I finally have that, so I can if I'm gonna actually go over my goals, I can build that into my schedule so I can sit, give it the time that it deserves. Uh, you know, I think I think being in the city obviously has a certain level of energy uh, and and training the people that we get to work with is is huge. And then I think the 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 biggest part of it is, um, the one thing that I think the Golf digest thing did for me is, as has the growth of my Instagram is now the the regressive aspect of going back to where I was maybe four years ago is more of a well if I if I fell on hard times and I had to, I could. Whereas when I was at the academy, because of how the environment was and 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 how strict it was, there was the fear of, well if I don't make this work, I'm either going to be doing what I've been fearful of doing for the rest of my life, uh, or I'm going to have to switch fields. Now I feel more in my field, you know, like I have that, 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 uh, you know, that accreditation, which is again, it's flattering and it's great. And I feel awkward, like, like saying it, like, I do feel awkward saying, Oh yeah, I'm a top 50, but, but I have that. I, I have the people I've gotten to network with both professionally and within my training uh, circle as well. That it's like, okay, now I know that this is probably the trajectory for a while. Whether it goes into other sports or not, which I would love, is, is to be seen. But um, I'll at least, I at least know that I have a, a trajectory in golf, I think, for, for the foreseeable future.
2: So it sounds like in the past, somewhat by necessity, you were focusing on what you had to lose or trying 100%. to not lose something, right? Versus now, it sounds like you are able to shift to focusing on what you could potentially gain.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Yeah, it's, it, that's definitely more of the of the growth focus than the regressive, the fear of like, I might lose this and now,
1: yeah, for sure. And what percentage of the day would you say that your goals are on your mind? Are you constantly thinking about them?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I if I like, wa- yeah. I mean, if I, if, if yeah, I mean, if I, if I watch just mindless TV or like, if I go and like chill and like play like a, a video game or something, I'm not thinking about it. But if I, if we're watching, like if Melissa and I are watching something on Netflix, of like, you know, uh, like we are were, we we're watching formula thing on formula one. And there's one on mm-hmm. like on this, this, this team Sunderland for soccer that I'm, I'm still thinking about it. Oh, yeah. I, I do struggle to not get it off my mind for sure.
1: I've actually, in launching this podcast, I've had the same experience. We'd be, we would be trying to watch uh, something that you had to follow pretty closely, and I'm like, I just missed the last three minutes
2: because
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about what I have to do, but I definitely feel you there.
3: Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: What do you think are some of the things that you've learned about yourself through your journey?
0: Um, well, I mean – I think the stuff that you don't you don't recognize you see when you're growing up either come out in a good or a bad way when you get when you get faced with with like, I guess the stuff that I've gone through, like, you know, my my dad was a mailman. My mom was a mailman, well male woman, and then she became a, a, a teacher um, for for 10 years or something like that. Uh, so, again, you know, they they're very hardworking individuals that they got locked into their field and they stayed. And, and they made a career out of it now they're living a the good life in Florida retired. Like it's perfect. But you know, when I'm a kid, I don't think I see a certain level of grit, you know, a certain level of, of, of grind. I mean, my dad, when I was, I think when I turned 12 or 13, he also was uh, doing a, a side business on top of working in the post office for fun, not out of necessity. And um, you know, I think that that level of discipline that I, I never would have understood, you know, unless I had to go through an environment where I needed to be disciplined, it started to come out. So I think that a level of discipline and a you know, a level of hustle showed because like I'm gonna take right now the present moment, um, you know, the reality is I just like you guys, maybe a little more so for me, but like I'm in a very hands-on field mm-hmm. um, and I can't be hands-on and I probably can't be hands-on for another two months. So I've had to shift to a lot of online training uh, and I've been blessed to have a few members that I was training in person that have wanted to dedicate the time for themselves, uh, you know, to 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 be able to train online. But I've also gotten to pick up a few people through through uh, social media outlets that um, are in the same boat that, that want to be trained. And and the beauty of it is, one, it shows me that uh, I can I can grind and hustle through an environment that's um, a, a massive struggle for m- millions. Uh, and what's <laughs> that?
2: I said everybody, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So, um, and then I think that it's also showed me the aspect of, you know, of the importance of what we do and, and, and the importance of my field, because it allows me, I mean, some some people are truly unaffected by this. You know, they were already software engineers. They, you know, they, 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 they literally, at the snap of the finger, could work from home and nothing changes. They're just home. Um, but it shows me the importance of me being able to take an hour out of their day. Uh, and I look at it as if, if I'm working with potentially, let's say someone I'm working with is, is a millionaire, right? They're successful, they've made their way up. If they can still find an hour out of their day to dedicate to exercise and movement and some kind of hobby, like you're saying, Kevin, something to disassociate from everything else from, I need to do that myself. I know uh, I did an eight, a podcast, whatever, a month ago with a, a podcast uh, called 18 Strong. And I said the same thing in there. I said, you know, at that time, now that I've been in the city and I've, been, and I've had this structured schedule, I've finally started to appreciate working out. People would think that because I work in the field that I love to work out and I love to hit the gym. I actually, I, I don't. Uh, most of the times I don't. I love playing sport. I love being physical. Right? I love if, if someone's going to sit down on a row machine next to me in a row, I love the competition. I could do that forever. Uh, but to actually get in the gym and work out was impossible for me because I'm, I'm 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 thinking of all this stuff i'm thinking about when i'm coaching somebody i'm analyzing my own movement i'm hyper analyzing my form I'm, all, I'm thinking of of all these discrepancies and so i never really enjoyed it but but the past four months i have uh since COVID i haven't i, I mean i have a row machine and all the stuff i would need in the house i go i but, but but i go out and i go for a run and i hate running but it's it's uh, like i don't think about it so yeah, I think that that's probably been the biggest thing over over the past, like eight years for me has, has been showing that like the the grit, the grind, the, the you know, the the hustle that I picked up from just seeing my dad do what he did and my mom do what she did. Um, it makes sense now because, you know, they've, you know, it's just like I've, I've had no choice.
1: Do you feel that you've had to make any sacrifices during your journey?
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not someone anyway, who uh, has the personality to want to go out on a Friday and get hammered and like, you know, like do that kind of stuff or, um, but, but I, there are definitely times where like, you know, I think most people would be like, okay, like I'm barely getting by, but I'm still going to go out and, you know, maybe travel or I'm going to go out and, and, you know, uh, instead of working on a Saturday, I want that Saturday to be a time to get outdoors and go on the lake or go hike A lot of that stuff I didn't, I haven't, and I still don't pursue because I still think that there's a level that in my mind I need to reach before I can say, instead of taking clients on a Saturday, I'm going to go hiking. That's me though. I don't think that that's right or wrong by any means. But for me, uh, I'm I'm still there, but throughout, like when I was in Arizona, I wanted to go uh, mountain biking and get out in the desert and go do all of these things but I never did it because I couldn't give up that Saturday. Cause I had to, I had to, you know, I, I didn't look, if I didn't work that Saturday could I have still paid rent and fed myself for sure. But I didn't feel comfortable having, you know, a dollar in my checking account. Right. So like, I, I was like, okay, like, like I'm going to, I'm not going to go do that because I want to at least have that level of comfort right or wrong. That's, that's kind of where the, I would say, that's probably been the biggest sacri- sacrifice. Yeah.
1: Did you have any sacrifices that you've come to regret?
2: No, I don't think I'm, no. Kevin asked you before, you know, what, what you thought maybe your keys to success were, how do you define success though? What's your definition?
0: Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, like for, for me to say my keys for success, I, there's parts, parts of me where I don't feel like I'm successful. So for me to define my, my keys for success, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to, to answer that truthfully. I, I don't think I could, I don't think I could sit here and say, you know, these are my, my keys for success. Now, maybe that's because I bumped myself up against someone who's like, if you were interviewing like, like Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan, right. And, and, and you're asking them that question. I think that they would say that and people would listen. Right, if I say what I do or what I think is 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 a, is a part of of my day, I don't think that would that would that would matter to people. So, because it doesn't really matter, I don't think I would particularly be able to answer the question. That doesn't mean that I base my success off of someone else's opinion, but I do think that there's a there's a certain. I think podcasts have taken on such a, a level of of like like again, I think of podcasts. I think of like those guys like Ferris Rogan, you know, um,
1: uh, Ferris uh, Tashman. Uh,
0: yeah 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 you
1: know. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: so for me this this like i'd always say this has nothing to do with the platform and who's interviewing me and and it has everything to do with how i view myself like if if you if you were joe rogan and asked me that question i would be like i don't know i i I don't i don't know what my keys to success are just like if it's you guys answering you know uh, asking me that question like it has nothing to do with like me being on the path distilled or the joe rogan experience has everything to do with the fact that i still don't view myself as being successful and I don't know why, but I don't.
1: So if you were to have a day for which you felt like you had failed, what would that entail? Um I think if I if
0: I didn't have time to if if like throughout that day I didn't dedicate time to my craft and I didn't dedicate time to um like if if I didn't if I had a day where I didn't like that exists right now. I mean, I have some days where I don't train anybody. Um, again, I'm lucky where that's not every day, maybe, maybe like excluding a Saturday or Sunday, maybe one weekday where I don't have a session right now with, with just with the way COVID and everything is. But even then, I think if, if I don't dedicate any time to thinking and building and studying within my field, that would be labeled as a failure for me. I mean, there, there are times right? like, like right now I have structured time at the end of my day where I can go and just not think whether that's TV, a video game, a book, um a, a book that doesn't pertain to my field, but but but, like if if i if I do that, there's times where, where I'll come out of that and I'll be mad at myself and feel like I failed for the day because i because I'm like, why am I doing this if I haven't achieved X or something? So, but my, yeah, I think for me, a failure would be if I didn't get to do what I want, like if I didn't do something in this in this field for at some point during the day.
2: Do you see it as black and white? Is it either I succeed or I fail, or is there another option for you?
3: Mm,
0: I, I I see it as I see it as black and white, but I think that there could be a level of of gray if that's being maintained with. Uh, I think I think the gray probably resides most on. Um, compensation like finance I think for me I think I'd be okay being in the gray maybe if the compensation's there but otherwise it's black or white because I don't I don't base like if, if I could do what I any of us probably right but because we love what we do but if I could do what I do for free but I knew that like it took care of my wife and it took care of my future family and like I, I'd be okay with that so money isn't the motivator for me to get in into a black or a white uh, but if I was going to, if I was going to finally look back, like look at myself in the mirror and say, I've settled, I'd at least want to know that I'm in a, a financially comfortable position. So I don't know if that's money driven or not, but.
1: And how much, how much time per day would you say that you spend doing the thinking building and growing? Uh, and in that, I guess, overall context, uh, before the COVID, uh, situation, what did a typical, t- typical day look like for you?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I would say that the amount of time that I spend a day would have reflected what a typical day looked like. So like a, an average day was usually 6.30. I, w- I would be working and in the studio from 6.30 till five, you know, five thirty, six o'clock. I mean, they were long days. Um, wow. And, 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 and built into that was the importance for me of the commute. I mean, there's, I, I don't sit, I don't go on the train and watch YouTube or, you know, Netflix. Like I'm still working on the train. Like that's so for me, 14 to 15 hours is a, is a comfortable number. Wow. Uh,
1: and what percentage of that would be research? Uh,
0: if if it's a normal workday, I'd say half. I'd say oh, yeah. half. I probably, you know, if I'm if I'm if I'm including a, if I'm looking at a 16 hour workday including including transportation, I probably have eight sessions in that day, eight nine sessions in that day.
2: So is there wasn't much downtime. Time- is that time that you spend doing that born out of feeling like you have to because you're not good enough, because you're interested in doing it, because you want to continue to develop your craft, a combination?
0: Now, right now, it's because I want to and because I, I, want to get, I still want to get further in the field. For This is the first time since I've been in the field where, um, and again, I'm going to speak from the aspect of no COVID, like normal
3: yeah. workday.
0: Um my all of my studying and research was was purely done out of want and excitement for for what the future
1: has. Nice.
2: Was that shifting into working for Golf and Body, or was there something else that created that kind of evolution in you?
0: Um, well, I think I think the the big factor of it was Golf and Body, and then also the uh, the networking and, and connections I'm getting on social, specifically through LinkedIn, uh, Instagram. There, there's, a, there's a, big, a big factor of that that I think builds that level of autonomy um, where it's making me want to study more and network more and, and grow more, for sure.
2: And prior to that, you did it because?
0: Uh, again, probably a six or seven month peak when I was at the academy. It was, it was done for the same reasons I'm feeling now. Uh, but the majority of it in the past was, was I felt driven on spite and anger, you know, wanting to get ahead just to kind of look back and know that I've gotten past that person.
1: That's sometimes underrated.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I know, (laughs) yeah.
1: So what advice would you give an aspiring performer in both golf and in your position training?
3: Uh, if, If
0: they're young, diversification as much as possible and i would never i would never dissuade someone from from college or pursuing higher education i would just make sure that it's it's in it's like i was listening to a really interesting interview with i don't know if you guys know who peter tia is but he's a, a medical doctor has a pretty popular podcast now and he even said that if he was speaking to an aspiring medical student that he would tell them to not go to school for medicine but to go to school for something else i think that if that if, if i was talking as to like a, a 17 year old uh not version of me but if i was talking to a 17 year old aspiring in the field i would be like if you're going to go to school uh to be in the field go for something that requires a degree like athletic training or physical therapy or, or you want to be a chiropractor but if you're going to go for exercise science uh or kinesiology or um you know exercise phys I, I i would look at trying to maybe spend a year or two in the field in as many different places, uh, working for as many different training environments as possible, just to know that, you know, like I, when I was in Arizona and I was working with other trainers, I was working with college graduates, uh, that were, again, like they would come up to me and be like, we didn't learn that in school. I'm like, that's cause I didn't learn it from school. Like that doesn't, to me. That's okay. like, I, again, I'm never going to rag on. It's the, probably the biggest conversation that my fiance and I have, because she's a college graduate who doesn't want to work in the field that she graduated in. I'm not a college graduate who's pejoratively thriving, I guess, right, in the field that he that he didn't go to school for. Uh, and I'm like, look, I'm not going to tell our kids to not go to school. That's never going to be, be the case. But I, I would say diversify as, as, as much as you can because uh, I think that in this field that's really important because you got to be a people person too. You have to.
2: I mean that's such an interesting conversation now, right on the heels of David Epstein's book Range, right, and that notion of you know, do you specialize or generalize, diversify, right, and the the commentary yeah. around that. Do you feel like you chose that path, or you stumbled upon it and learned that that was the the quote unquote good path?
0: Well, I think I think when when I sat when I sat down with, uh, I guess it would have been like a a counselor at the college, just someone who was, who was in academic, like in the, um, like just helping me with, with selecting classes for my next semester mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I can't think. But like when I sat down with, when I sat down with him and I made a decision, I looked at him, I said, you know, you can take me off the list. I'm not going to be coming back next semester. This is before I even spoke to my parents or anything. I just, I made that decision. I think that's at that moment was when I said, okay, I'm either going to follow a trend and I'll still find a way to make it work for me. Or I'm gonna do with what feels right in my gut, because that was probably next next to knowing that I was gonna uh, marry the person that I'm in, that I was dating. Right, that was probably the only other time in my life where I was like, I know that if I make this decision, I'm gonna have no regrets at all. It's gonna be a different route road. road. It's maybe not the most traditional and comfortable or what I would want, but I know that this is the right decision. And then that sparked my again out of anger and out of spite, but it sparked my. I think my snowball into like where I am now.
1: So was it a direct link? Did you know when you were leaving college that that was the next step of your path or did it just kind of happen a little bit after?
0: Uh, what, like what, what's happening now Did I know that that was going to be a result of that.
1: Yeah. Did, so when you told the advisor that you were leaving, did you know at that point that you were going to make a career out of training?
0: Or yeah. You
1: just, yeah.
0: Yeah. Because I, I went, my, my selected major was athletic training. Okay. And I was never, I was never good in school to begin with. Uh, and when I had finished my, my gen eds for the first, you know, the first semester and I sat down and he started showing me what my, what my options were for the next couple of years. And none, none of it had anything to do with, with, with anything in my field. There was nothing along the lines of, of, of anatomy or physio. Like not, I saw the next couple of years were not pertaining to what I wanted to do. Um, that's when I knew that I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to spend the next, few years at least trying to get experience in my field before I decide to maybe go to school
3: for business if if that's the only route that I have.
1: Was there a moment that you knew that it had taken in the sense that you were on the the path was now in motion or that you were in motion on the path I guess um, yeah,
0: no. I mean, I, I think uh, I think once I had gotten out, once I had gotten the golf cert and gotten out to Arizona, that's when I knew that, like, okay, this is this is the beginning of it because I I was working with people again who who um, were where I would have been, you know, four years from that moment, which was with a degree and curious, like, wh- wh- where am I going to work now? Because I, I met a lot of people that were unbelievably intelligent and did very well in school, but part of this field is communication. And they were never taught that, how to communicate. Me, I didn't have a choice. If I'm running a class of 50 people in Buffalo by myself, or I'm running a class of 25 people in Arizona by myself, which came prior, I mean, I had to learn how to communicate first. So the ability to communicate to not only one person, but to a group of people, but to be able to teach them one thing, but to know that if I'm teaching Lauren it this way, but I'm going to have to teach it you, Kevin, another way, then I also have to address everyone as a whole, plus I have to address that person as an individual, it really taught me how, how to communicate. And I think that's been a huge part of of what's benefited me throughout the field has been that aspect of communication.
1: And at what point uh, during your learning curve, and because you mentioned uh, specific or personalized uh, plans for the individual, um, was there was there a steep learning curve on the ability, ability to do that? Or do you think it came pretty easily was that pretty early in your career
0: so yeah i think i think if i'm working with just gen pop it, it it's that came that came on pretty early okay. uh because it was pretty straight it was pretty straightforward you know someone comes in you test them you see they have back pain you fall you know and you do the things okay. you got to do to train them uh in golf that definitely took probably until the beginning of my second year with uh with after a full 12 months at the academy I was I was firing on all cylinders for sure and I and I finally felt good in that field.
1: And in that first year did you ever feel that you were faking it as you were learning it?
0: Um uh
1: well for because because I never played golf
0: uh and and I understood the swing anatomically, I didn't understand it mm. uh, technically uh for sure. I mean for sure when coaches or students were talking about pull hooks or they were talking about um even just 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 playing like I had to definitely um, definitely, you know, fake it, for sure. For sure.
2: Are there times I was very comfortable you, with that. Are there times where you still feel like that? Do you feel now no, like there
3: are times? Yeah,
0: I, I think, I think, um, there's still, there's still some lingo and stuff like that, where like, I mean, like, I definitely know that. I mean, I don't know, I, I would think that if someone followed my, followed my Instagram, maybe listened to me on a podcast, and saw the stuff that I was doing, um there's still hesitancy for me to openly express my educational background because of, because maybe I'm wrong, but I think coming in, there's a level of assumption um, and it depends on who I'm speaking with, speaking with you guys, speaking with the, with the, with the uh, individual that I had to work with at, at um, the second Academy that we merged with uh, I'm already done. I'm discredited. What I do doesn't matter. But for me now, I, I don't care. Like, like then it was a little bit more of like, okay, like I still have to prove, prove, prove for me. If, if someone comes up to me, uh, you know, you a know, college, you know, your college drop out, you don't really have that background. I'm not going to trust you. say, fine, go find somebody else. Like, I'm okay with that. That's fine with me.
2: What allowed you to get to that, that place?
0: Uh, I don't like to say it, but I do think that Instagram has been a part of that. Um, in the sense that it's, it works as an, as an active, you know, living, resume. Um, and I think, I definitely think the golf digest thing has been good. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't a requirement, um, you know, to, to be, to be pulled on the list. Um, so I think that, I think that, and then, and then at the end of the day, if I'm in person with someone who wants to make that statement, I a hundred percent trust my ability to help them see the change that they want, regardless of whether they, they want to believe it or not, because of my background. I, I I trust my ability to coach over social presence and any any accredited accolade. Um, I definitely, I, I, 100%, 100. I'm always going to be a show me, don't tell me kind of person,
3: mm-hmm. uh,
0: and that's something that I that I will live with, I think, forever. Is you know, if someone comes at, if someone comes up to me and say, Hey, I want to intern with you. I'm a college, you know, I'm I'm a college graduate, but I know nothing of golf, but I think I, I can be really good. I'm always going to fall back on the. You don't have to sit there and tell me about what you what your GPA was and if you were you know summa cum laude. I don't care about any of that. If you if you can show me, that's what matters. And and I, that that may be a little bit of a negative bias, but that's where I'm always going to deviate towards for sure.
1: I I like it. Um, So what percentage of what you're able to accomplish would you attribute to the hard work and the steps that you've taken versus being a quote natural? I think, I think there's,
0: I think in terms of my, my, my ability to, I I would say in thinking in terms of my ability to demonstrate and articulate and show, Movement, Like if I'm coaching somebody to show position and to show what I want them to feel and, 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 and the ability to give them, show them through myself, I think is just a natural thing. I think I can move naturally. Well, I'm, I wasn't obviously not a high end athlete. I didn't play competitively
3: in high school and I obviously didn't
0: play collegiate, but, but, I, but I am an athletic person. So I think that that genetically helps. Um, but I, I would have to attest the the rest of it towards just hard work and discipline for sure. For sure.
1: And what about what percentage would you attribute to the people that you train? what have you noticed? Is it what which is more important or what how would you allocate the importance, I guess?
0: Um, in terms of like my my ability of hard work against talent.
1: Uh, yeah, for the the people that you're actually working with, so the other individuals.
0: I, I would say that that leans more heavily on on hard work because I think a lot of a lot of what I'm doing with people, comes down to being able to get them to feel something in a way that they understand it, and I don't think that there's a single certification or educational uh, institute that I've that I've followed that has been able to teach that. I think a lot of I think a lot of that's more psychological and more um, understanding of personality and and emotion and thought than it is of of anatomy. I think I think for me maybe this falls into the, into the natural category. I think the anatomy part of it is natural, but the but the ability to um, talk to somebody and get them to understand something that you know because again I, I get it a lot in my field. Someone's like I've worked with a golf co- I've worked with a golf coach for two years and they haven't been able to get me feel that. And you you don't teach golf but you've been able to get me feel that. I think that has a lot to do with with hard work. Like because I don't feel comfortable in a session if I'm not getting to that. I could sit there and talk about anatomy. And I think if someone came up and said, Hey, I have left back pain when I swing the club, what do you recommend? And I think I could fix it. Uh, like that, like that's easy to me, that feels easy, but to actually take somebody through a uh, a complete change like that, um, I don't, I don't enjoy my coaching. If I'm not getting to that end result for sure.
2: And And of course, you know, that's our our big interesting question and the thing fueling really this podcast is that understanding of, are we born with these capabilities or do we develop them over time? Or is it a combination of both and what does that trajectory look like? So would you, kind of looking at it through that lens, would you then say that your skill and abilities as a, a trainer, you unlocked potential that you just were born with or naturally had, or that you've worked through your hard work and the things that you've done and the journey that you've gone on. That's how you've arrived at this point and your capabilities.
0: I would say it was, I would say it was, it was unlocked. And it, and it falls back to, uh, to that day. I sat with my advisor a hundred percent, because I think at that moment, I made that decision to say, I'm going to, I'm going to potentially go for, 10 years, 15, I don't know how long, but I'm definitely gonna go through the better half of my 20s, having to give up weekends and having to give up time with, with friends and family and having to give up, um, you know, the reality of being a broke college student, but I'm a broke college student, so I'm gonna still go out and do things that broke college. Like, Like, I gave that up uh, because I wanted to see what was gonna be at the end of this, uh, if I made the decision to stay. Uh, Again, I don't look back at life with regret, so I don't think I would have re- regretted that, but I think that it would, I would not be in the position I'm in right now if that were the case.
1: Uh, is there anything that we haven't asked that you feel is important to share?
0: I don't think so. I don't usually do a good job talking about myself unless someone asks a question. So <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think on my end, I'm lying, I'm, I'm, I'm good.
1: Um, and then what would you say is the biggest takeaway overall from your story?
0: Um, I think it's to be for me. It's to always be be willing to take in as much info as I can, and to look at it from from as many different perspectives as possible. You know, like that's why I struggle in religious and political debates because I'm because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lean a certain way because I feel like I have to. I'm gonna see things from as different as many different ways as I can, and I think that the willing the willingness to not be afraid. To commit to the complete to a complete level of unknown at a young age so look you know if, if, if in two or three years time I have a kid and you know things change in terms of my options and what I can do and but but I think that that's part of part of life at 19 twenty 21 22 at 26 uh, I think that there still has to be that level of like I'm gonna to commit to something that just doesn't make sense. I think there's too much structure in being like you have to go to A to B to C to D to E. Uh, I, so I think I think being being understanding that there's always an A and always a Z, but you don't have to go B to C to get there. I think for me is probably my 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 biggest thing is I, is just embracing as much as I can uh, and and following what I think feels right. And that's always the hard part because I think people, myself included, juxtapose that against what people say you should do. Um, But that's probably been my my biggest thing for sure.
1: So Matt, given your takeaway, um, I understand that you gave us an image that meant something to you. Uh, So can you tell us a little bit about what this is and what it means?
3: Yeah, so um, I
0: came across this photo probably four or five years ago. Uh, It was just something I came across on Instagram. And when I saw it, it, it resonated with me because, you know, I think it reflects, regardless of the quote, I think it reflects just a lot of kind of how I feel when I look at certain situations. So so the quote at the bottom does say, all you need in this life is ignorance and confidence and then success is sure. And I think that that quote itself tied in with the photo because when I, when I saw it, I was like, all right, you know, you have clearly unfavorable conditions, right? It's snowing out, it's cold. There's, um, to me, it looks like there's just a look in the photo of, preparation for something and for me there's a level of seriousness but then there's also a level of I guess you could say enjoyment or excitement for what's about to happen Uh, and I think that when I saw the photo I was like okay like like that resonates and when I added the the quote to it and I came across the quote that's when I realized that there's such a, a, a strong relationship I think between ignorance and confidence because you know, for me going back on my story, when I when I was uh, making the decisions that I was making for my for my career path, um, you know, I knew that the decision to go against the grain was and would and could be labeled as ignorant. I'm being ignorant towards what's worked for people, ignorant towards what people suggest, ignorant towards suggestions of maybe friends or family or other people that have, you know, made it in quotes mm-hmm. in you know, in the field. And um I was okay with that because I think I had the confidence that, that even if I didn't get to where other people thought I could have or should have, or uh, you know, I wasn't doing the same that other people were doing, I, I was confident that if I was making a decision and executing on a decision that resonated with me, that I couldn't really go wrong. So even if it wasn't this life that I may have thought, if I looked back and said, okay, like I made the right decision then, and even though it was against what everyone else was doing, I was confident in that decision to go against everyone else, I think, was just really, really, you know, impactful for me. And then, you know, just the the smirk and kind of the the just environment of the the, the photo. It just it all kind of tied in really well for me. And and I've had it on my wall for, I don't know, five years now. So it's it's been it's been a big part, for sure.
1: And is this an an approach that you would recommend to others, or is it one that is best suited for you?
0: Um. I think I would recommend it. I mean, it was definitely best it is and was suited for me, but I would recommend it to somebody else. If they're at a point where everybody is telling them to not do something, but they feel that what they want to do is right for them. It's the decision that they want to make. It resonates with them. It's, it's something that that's genuine and authentic to how they're feeling. Then you you do it and you don't really worry about You know, you can't be ignorant, in my opinion, you can't be ignorant to something that you don't particularly agree with anyway. Um, You know, for me, it's obviously there are, you know, there's good and bad and you have to know that regardless of doing something, it's the right or the wrong thing to do. But if you're kind of in that middle part, then you got to go with 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 your gut. And I think that, you know, if, if that's the position you're in, this is it's the way to go. So
2: having this on your wall and having it be there for several years is is something that allows you to remember. It sounds like kind of having this focal point for yourself.
0: Yeah, it's always been positioned in an area where um I either saw it coming in and out of the house or I would see it first thing in the morning. So it's coming in and out of my room or it was coming in and out of the house at one at one apartment I was in I had it where I would do my workouts. So it was you know it was in an area where I where I saw it, I remembered it um and uh you know it was it was always kind of getting me ready for the day
2: awesome well it was really awesome having you on our show today um and really cool to hear some different parts of your story even knowing you matt and working with you at golf and body a bit like there are some things today that were just new and and really cool to hear what that has done you know for you for you and your journey and and helped you get to this place
0: yeah, I, uh, I, I really appreciate, I mean, I think this was awesome. I think you guys have a great format and this is going to be uh this is going to be what a lot of people need, you know, to understand, like, again, um, nobody cares about me, but uh, to, to be able to, um to be able to look at people that are successful and understand what they did to get to where they are. I think there's not enough out there in terms of that directness. Um, you know, it sometimes comes up naturally, I guess, but like this is the fact that that's the intent behind this, I think is awesome.
1: Well, thank you so much. And thank you for being with us.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Thank you.
1: The Path Distilled is hosted by Kevin Harris and Lauren Tashman, created and produced by Kevin Harris. The content is copyrighted by The Path Distilled. All right. Preserved.